You know, he's English. He's polite, so he, he just, you know, kindly found another. He begged off, and he had something to do. I'm yeah. washing my hair. <laughs> right, exactly. So he didn't ask, you know. That sounds great, he'd say. <laughs> right, Pumpkinhead. Oh man, we'll talk about that. Do you want me to intro it, and we'll do? Recently? Let's intro this. All right, listeners. You're listening to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. We are a podcast where friends get together, uh, virtually until it's safe to do otherwise, and talk about a horror movie. Uh, we will spoil the horror movie we talk about, you know, the featured attraction. We'll try not to terribly spoil the recently watched. And we are not professional critics. In fact... I'm not saying we aren't critics, we're just not professional ones. In other words, no one's paying us to say the things we say about the movies we talk about. Uh, we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. You can find their music on Apple Music or Amazon, where you can buy it digitally. Or you can say hello to them on Facebook, where they are the Moon-Rays. And we three hosts, um, there's two of us here this time, but... The three of us who run this thing made a coloring book. If you like Plan 9 from Outer Space, or you like coloring books, or neither, or both, you can go to plan9coloringbook.com. That's plan, the number nine, coloringbook.com, and buy the thing. Um, I had a guy buy the thing and then uh, turn right around and buy it again. And I combined shipping and saved him like a buck fifty or something. Nice. He bought it and suddenly realized someone else would like it too. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Cool. But uh, yeah, we're um, we're looking good with that. And I do kind of wonder, should we do uh, B-movies and uh, public domain movies? I totally think we should do B-movies. I think it would not be the worst idea we ever came up with. So no, we already did that idea. <laughs> Plan 9. <laughs> Yeah. It's a it's a terrific, terrible movie. It is. So, having said all that, uh, we normally start the show by saying who we are and talking about Recently Watched. I'm Richard. I'm here with Will. Hello. Um, what have you watched since we did this last? Well, uh, more Star Trek. We're still trekking through uh, Next Generation. I think we're in Season 5, about halfway through. Uh, there's only 10 seasons? I think there's 30 seasons, maybe more. <laughs> I believe they're still making them. <laughs> it feels like 30 uh, seasons. They're cranking them out weekly still. Riker's got a big belly and a long white beard. Uh-huh. Captain Picard is 900 years old. That's right. Um, then we watched... Um, uh, a show called, a new show called Lovecraft Country. Oh, yeah, because you got on the uh, HBO. HBO show about. Yeah, we went ahead and got HBO because we only have like four or five streaming services to choose from. We need more. Yes. Choice, you know. Yeah. We need to watch. Yeah. Uh, but, uh,. <laughs> Uh, Lovecraft Country watched the first three episodes. Um, pretty good. I I really like it. It's uh, it's a little bit different. It's uh, dealing with both uh, Lovecraftian creatures and magic and whatnot, a Lovecraftian world, but also the racism of the 1950s. Oh, I was going to jokingly say, do they deal with racism? Because... Apparently, Lovecraft was a 
A vile racist. Yes, he was a vile racist, as we discussed during uh, uh, Color Out of Space. Um, yes, and so this this is kind of um, uh, an examination of pulp from a black point of view. Okay. So, uh, yeah. They have to deal with, you know, Cthulhu and just bigotry. It's like cops or Cthulhu. I'll take Cthulhu, thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes. All the the scenes in the in the in the opening in the pilot. Uh, we'll call it a pilot. I don't know if they still use that term, but the first episode. Uh, there's a scene where a cop is running them out of the county, mm. and they can't exceed the speed limit of 25 miles per hour. Um, and he's ramming them and pushing them, trying to make them go faster, and they have to get out of the county by sundown. Uh. Um, it's worse than anything, any any wizard or or <laughs> monster that they may encounter. Oh yeah. Um, the second episode is kind of kind of. We've only watched three episodes. First two were definitely uh, a, like a two-parter. The, the third episode is, it's sort of an anthology take. Uh, I mean, it's the same characters, but they're sort of Monster of the Week episode. Um, oh. Although to say Monster of the Week, I think, diminishes it. I actually liked it better, I think, than the first two episodes because it was uh, it was a Haunted House episode. Um I think it felt a little more grounded. I felt we like we got just a little bit more of the characters. I felt, unfortunately, that the second episode was a bit rushed. It felt like you had reached the end of the season. Oh. You're like, wow, this you know this would have been the big you know finale, right, for the whole season for for a lesser show. And you're like, wow, what are they gonna? Where are they gonna go from here? Um. Mm. Which can leave you feeling a little, um, I don't know, underserved, perhaps. You, you, the meal wasn't quite filling because it, it wasn't all quite there. I think they could have drug it out a little bit longer. That said, it, it does cover a lot of ground we've, we've seen in Pulp and whatnot. Right. Well, they left you wanting... It involved... Oh, go ahead. They left you wanting more, which is probably better than giving you a bunch of crap you didn't want. Oh, definitely, definitely. Hmm. Um, the The basic premise is a guy gets a letter from his dad, who's gone missing. Um, this guy is uh, Atticus. Um, I don't remember his last name now. But anyway, um, it turns out his dad's gone missing in Massachusetts. Somewhere in what he thinks is Arkham, which is the town that uh, Lovecraft wrote about. It turns out it's Artem, which is some little town there. But um, turns out his uh, his great-great-great-grandfather was some evil wizard who raped his slave. And so he is related to them. Um, and they need somebody who's related to this great wizard to open a gateway to the Garden of Eden. Oh. I'm not giving away too much. No, that sounds like a total normal amount you'd see on the blurb. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Jordan Peele, uh, I believe is executive producing it. He's involved somehow. Man, um, he's, he's, he's winning. The, the cast is spectacular. Um, um, the uh, uh, female lead, uh, Letty, um, Leticia Lewis is, I don't know the actress's name, um, Junie, Journey, Smollett, Smollett, something hmm. like that. Okay. Um, she's fantastic. She's really good. Um, 
guy who plays Atticus is really good. I feel like maybe his character, uh, I don't really know enough about him yet, despite being the main character. I feel he's a, a bit of a cipher. We know he was in, in the Korean War. He knows somebody in Korea still. Something bad happened. Um, his uh, uncle, um, Courtney B. Vance from Law and Order. Uh-huh. Really good. Um, and then his dad is played by Omar from The Wire. Oh, wow. Um, That's who's a... really good, too, although we haven't gotten a whole lot of him yet. Is that Michael Williams? Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. What great casting. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic cast. And, um, and, I, re- I highly recommend it. And uh, it, it seems like there's uh, five or six main characters who are black, which I'm sure makes racist H.P. Lovecraft spin in his grave. <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so, you know. Uh, you know, um, yeah, they bring up right away the uh, the poem he wrote um, on creation of a... N-word? Ninjas. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, I didn't... You know, and they bring that up. And, and, and Atticus has some line at the beginning... Um, He's describing the uh, Princess of Mars series to a fellow black uh, bus rider who uh, admonishes him for reading a story about an ex-Confederate soldier. And he's like, well, you, you have to love stories. Stories are like people. They're not perfect. They're, you, you love the parts you love, and <laughs> you, you get over the rest. And she's like, yeah, but ex-Confederate means slavery. Right. And can you get over that? So that's that's kind of where the series is coming from. You know, how do you reconcile these things? Right. Oh man. Well that sounds like it's got a lot uh a lot going on and a lot to unpack if you start to really try to Yeah, write. it it does. And uh it packs a lot in. The uh third episode, like I said, is a haunted house story it felt to me a lot more uh jordan peely oh good that's such a word it felt to me like a sequel to get out even though it wouldn't be you know in the same universe or dealing with the same thing he just had that feel of get out you know and even though it was an hour long it felt like it was it was a full movie wow it was kind of neat you know um then moving on uh, well, first, we first, um, oh. is this is this really something that you think horror fans are all about? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. good. Just wanted to horror fans need to check this out. Okay. I mean, unless you're a racist, <laughs> and then you'll be bummed out that it wasn't more racist in your favor. Yeah. Okay. Now go um, ahead. Moving on. Sorry. Moving on. Uh, we watched um, Ready or Not. Uh, this is a movie that came out last year about a, uh, a uh, young bride who has to play a game with her new family, her new in-laws, at midnight on the day of their wedding in order to be fully accepted in the family. Um, I don't really know what this movie was trying to do. I don't know if it was supposed to be a dark comedy okay. or a light horror movie. Um, somewhere in the middle, but it didn't, didn't land with either. It was a very meh sort of movie. If you could rate something a C, this definitely earned that C. Okay. Um, it's not terribly funny. The characters were there. Um, there wasn't very much there. There wasn't very much, if it had been funny, you know, or really dark, um, we recently watched uh, uh, Avenue 5, which is a uh, satire, but it had some pretty dark jokes. If something had like, like that, I think would have worked, um, you know, if maybe they were, I don't know, saying something about uh, modern weddings or in-laws or something. But it just, it, it was a high-concept premise 
I mean, you have these people playing a game at midnight. It turns out they have to sacrifice the bride to Satan or they'll all die. I'm not giving anything away. Okay. Uh, you figure that out pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I liked it better than Knives Out. I would compare the two because they take place in a big mansion with a rich family and murder, you know? Yeah. Uh, Knives Out was a little more whodunity than, than uh, this. This is more action, more of a chase. Um, didn't really work for me. Huh. Moving on, I watched the first half of season two of Pen 15. Um, huh. This is the series with two uh, junior high girls, Maya and Anna, who are played by their real-life adult counterparts. Um, who has nailed the awkwardness of adolescence. Um, I'm a little underwhelmed with this season. I think maybe the joke has worn a little thin for me. Um, it's awkward. We get it. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I watched too many this, this morning. Maybe I should have watched one and moved on. Uh, Perhaps it's not a show to binge. You know, some shows don't hold up to a binge. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think more shows, uh, you know, people are complaining because more shows are coming out just weekly. I think they need to do that. I think that works better for shows. I think you, you overstuff yourself if you end up binging something. Yeah, and, and like this morning with Pen Fifteen, it felt like oh, that's hilarious to uh, watch four of these. That's two hours. It's too much. Yeah, it's it, uh, they it, made it in half hour little segments. <laughs> yeah, have you have you guys been watching The Boys at all? No, I need to watch season two. I really liked season one. Yeah, I'm uh, three episodes in. I think they've dropped four of them total. And I think, yeah, yeah, we're three episodes in. And what's remarkable is the character Homelander is just so matter-of-factly awful and blithely unaware of how awful he is. He just doesn't know any, he doesn't know any other way, but to be his awful self. Yeah. And (laughs) there's a sociopath would be one thing to, to one term to apply to him, but Man, uh, that's not enough. He's sociopath <laughs> with superpowers. Oh. oh, so was that it for your recently watched? Um, yeah, other than Pumpkinhead, I believe that is it. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I gave that away. We watched a few episodes of The Boys over the last week and a half, two weeks. Um, one of them that... I don't want to say a whole lot about, um, okay, we'll just go through them. I'll, I'll just go ahead and talk about them. Um, all right. So we watched a few episodes of the boys and, uh, if I'm to work backward from most recent to further away, uh, I want to say that, uh, we watched close encounters of the third kind with a couple of friends who are in the pod, so to speak. So everyone is sworn to being careful at the grocery store. And, uh, you know, we sit far enough apart, but still don't have to wear masks, uh, because we're, you know, we see each other once or twice a week. Uh, that, that excuse being made, we, we sat and watched a movie in the outdoor big screen situation And it was awesome to watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind, a 1977 Steven Spielberg movie starring Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, This thing... Whatever happened to him? Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, he did a few things after that. One and done. Flash (laughs) in the pan. Well, if you count that that indie film he made called Jaws, that's two and done. Oh, yeah. It's a two-hit wonder. And uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, Close Encounters is great. Uh... You've got special effects wizards at work on this, including Johnny Dykstra. You've got Richard, um, 
uh, you've got uh, Steven Spielberg directing, uh, great cast, and the story really captures your imagination immediately. And this is something I forgot about, having not watched it in forever. Uh, you see a lost squadron, you know, the, the airplanes. Mm-hmm. What the hell? They're in perfect condition. They're World War II airplanes in the 1970s. And yeah. uh, then the next scene where all these experts are out on another site, it's a ship which has just been dropped off in the desert. And you're like, what the hell's going on in this here movie? And then uh, we meet Richard Dreyfuss's character. And uh, he's a basically a lineman uh, in Muncie, Indiana. And when he's out on one of his uh, calls to go fix a power outage or whatever it is he does, he witnesses UFOs. And not only witnesses, but gets a nice sunburn on, or radiation burn, light burn, I don't know, on half of his face. And uh, notices other experiencers, witnesses, whatever you want to call them. And goes on to be very preoccupied, if not obsessed, with an image that he's getting in his mind. And this image, you know, spoiler from 1977, it's Devil's Tower. And so he's like, okay, I'm seeing Devil's Tower but he doesn't know what it is. And then finally uh, there's some big event happening there that is some government bullshit cover-up story, but it's on the news. And then that's when he figures out that's where he needs to go. Of course, his wife and his shitty kids have all sort of gotten at their wits end with him. Well, his wife's gotten at her wits end with him and has gone over to her sister's house or whatever, but he needs to pursue this and that's where the movie goes from there is him pursuing it and being obsessed the whole time and then we find out what up with them aliens and it's pretty cool uh worth a watch for sure uh the restoration on it looks gorgeous uh i'm the regular edition or the special edition where they go inside uh it's the special edition okay yeah so I have to say um, they're talking uh, something about putting it out in theaters again. I think that would look great on the big screen. I was talking to Jolien about it and I said, uh, yeah, but the big kind of light show stuff at the end kind of does drag on. And of course, you know that when it came out, that was like everyone was mesmerized and, and thrilled by it. But I don't know. I mean, it didn't change. I changed. I, I think I need things to get to the point a little sooner. And this isn't a complaint. It's just an observation. This is my relationship to the movie, not its problem. Uh, I could have used about five minutes less of the whirly gigs and the, you know, the music going and all that yeah. stuff. Uh, five minutes less of it would have been ideal for me. But and I, I think the, uh, I think the regular edition is a little bit shorter than the special edition. Maybe that's why. Maybe I don't remember it being that drawn out at the end, but... Yeah, um, they go inside, and I, it's been a hundred zillion years since I watched it, but uh, I seem to remember he added uh, a trip inside the UFO at the very end for the special edition, which he put out not terribly long. I think it was like maybe the next year or the year after? I think it was 1980. So like okay. a few a few years so later. Three years, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and uh, I don't think it works as well. I think once you go inside, it, it does drag on a little too much. And I think they, they break the rule of showing too much of the monster and it stops being believable. Yeah, probably true. I mean, they're not monsters, but... No, but... It works better when it's in your imagination. Sure. And we'll, and we'll talk think, about that during Pumpkinhead. Yeah. <laughs> and I think... I think uh, it's been, again, been a zillion years since I've watched Encounters of the Third Kind. Ghost Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, I always felt like it was one of those movies that the setup is really great. Like those planes... That opening just blew me away when I first watched that movie. Like, 
what the fuck? What's going on? Oh my god! My yeah. poor brain couldn't handle it. And the you, you boat in the desert, everything, yeah. You want and the whole movie like, of what? that. Yeah, and then you get to the end, and the explanation is kind of, Yeah. And then he shows you more of it, and it's not, it doesn't help. Yeah, it, well, pro- I, it, it takes the punch out of it a little, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, do not, you know, and again, it, it's a very enjoyable movie. I like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but you know, yeah. everything has flaws. Yeah, and it, I'm here to point them out. Sure. Yeah, it's still a nine point something for me, like eight eight point something. Yeah, it's, it's a it's great a movie. Something, it's up there. It's a good movie. Yeah. I enjoy it. Now, there's a but it does run a little long at the end. It gets a little. It wears out its welcome, perhaps. Now there's a there's a great cameo at the end that most people wouldn't necessarily know who this is without some explanation, but uh, uh, astronomer, professor, and ufologist J. Allen Hynek uh, is in the group of scientists at the end. He's the one with the goatee smoking a pipe. Uh, oh, okay. So this is the guy who um, he he was working with the U.S. Air Force with three consecutive projects, which were Project Sign, Project Grudge, and uh, Project Blue Book, which they did a series called Project Blue Book, which had uh, Littlefinger from uh, Game of Thrones <laughs> uh, playing the part of him. But he went in as a scientist, a skeptic, and came out a believer that there is some unexplained stuff going on out there, and it ain't swamp gas. Uh, so it was... Yeah. It was the planet Venus. Um, so it was, it was pretty cool that he, uh, that he had, uh, you know, made that impact with Spielberg and, and was put in there in, in a, uh, in a, uh, cameo like that. But, uh, yeah, J. Yeah. Allen, J. Allen Hynek. Um, so, uh, Close Encounters was awesome. And working backward from that, uh, more, more recently, um, I watched Twins of Evil, now I have found pictures of of the um, of uh, the the Collinson twins, where it's like I'm I'm looking up cool old vampire pictures from like the '60s and '70s, and uh, and I ran across them before I ever saw the movie, and then suddenly I thought I should see if that movie is available on one of these platforms, and it was available on Amazon um, uh, Prime Video. Uh, so I watched Twins of Evil which is a uh-huh. ni- 1971 um, Hammer, a, a British horror film from uh, Hammer Studios. And um, it stars uh, John Huff, Peter Cushing, yeah. Damian Thomas, and real-life identical twins and former Playboy Playmates, Marion Madeline Collinson. Uh, this, uh, this is a lot of fun. Now, a lot of times you're like, oh, it's the frilly shirts and they're shooting day for night and everyone's all sort of old timey. Now this one gets right to the action. You got Peter Cushing is this like puritanical jerk. Uh, I don't know what you even call him. Uh, he's a witch hunter though, if you want to call him what he is. And it just seems like, Oh, there's a woman in the woods. You're guilty. Burn her at the stake. She's like, you know, minding her own business. And all of a sudden she's being burned. Um, but then finally he gets entangled with a bunch of actual vampires. And uh, I don't want to say too much about it, except this one is not a drag at all. It keeps moving right along. You get uh-huh. uh, you get fangs and blood and burning at the stake and uh, pointy sticks being driven through people and uh, nudity. There's actual nudity in this thing. Uh, 87 minutes. It doesn't waste any time. Uh, no. Nope. It was, it was like, Hey, uh, our producer said, keep it under 90 minutes and make it about whatever you want. So they did. That's the secret. And it was an October release in 1971. Um, so that means they were like, let's have this thing geared up for Halloween. Yeah. Um, yeah, we watched the, uh, last year. Maybe the, yeah, probably yeah. last year. Yeah, I enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, did I did I mention last time? And I and I know that I may have missed talking about a couple things. Did I mention having rewatched Willow Creek? 
No. Okay, that's a Bobcat Goldthwaite directed oh, yeah. Sasquatch. Okay. okay, it's a basically found footage style movie. Uh, yeah. If I didn't mention it, it's totally worth watching. Um, Bryce Johnson from Bigfoot Collectors Club podcast is uh, the he's the male lead in this movie, and uh, man, it was better on the rewatch. So it's uh, Bryce Johnson and uh, Alexi Gilmore are your are your two leads in this one, and it's it's awesome. It's worth a look if you like them Bigfoots. Um, it's eighty minutes. Doesn't. Yeah. It's 80 minutes. It gets to the point. Uh, now this one will, I gotta say this takes a little more imagination and a little more, um, I don't know, suspension of your disbelief, uh, until Buzz Aldrin shows up, but, uh, aliens on the moon, the truth exposed from 2014. (laughs) Now we could say this isn't UFOs because it's just about bases on the moon on the part we don't see from here. But, uh, Buzz Aldrin was like straight up like, yeah, we saw some shit. <laughs> there's, there's, pic- All right. there's pictures of, uh, of structures on the moon. And I'm like, well, what could those be? And then they give you an idea of how big those structures should actually be in real life. And they're massive but they are certainly not natural formations. So they go into a lot of, uh, they go into a lot of, uh, uh, research and, and, uh, discussion of what these things are, what they might be. Um, you get, uh, let's see, planetary geologists, lunar researchers, um, Apollo 14 astronauts, Apollo 11 astronaut, uh, former NASA photo manager, uh, former NASA contractor. You get all these people who are not just a bunch of goofballs going, uh, it was aliens. I mean, these are people who are like straight up, like we don't know what up with this, uh, but it doesn't look like swamp gas or the planet Venus. Um, then uh, one that I watched that I think I watched before last time, but didn't talk about, I didn't talk about, I'm thinking of ending things. Did I? No, you didn't. And I, wanted to see this one um it is really peculiar uh you're kind of wondering because now here's a guy who wrote being john malkovich adaptation eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and you're like okay well i expect bizarre peculiar weird story stuff going on here and absurdity and very matter of fact weirdness from the characters oh you get all of that and it stars um, Jesse Plemons, who uh, I think of as Derpy Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Damon? <laughs> Derpier Matt Damon. Meth Damon. <laughs> meth, yeah, meth Damon. Yeah, he's from Breaking Bad originally. Yeah, so yeah, most people know him from either Friday Night Lights or later on he played Todd in... Uh, in uh, breaking bad, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, meth Damon. <laughs> um, and, uh, Jesse Buckley is the young woman who is, uh, referred to by different names throughout the movie. So you're like, is, is this her psychotic break or his, I'm not sure, but she's basically, it's this couple who's only recently gotten together. They're going to meet his parents at their farmhouse and they're driving during a snowstorm. So you start to wonder like, okay, they've only been in this relationship six weeks. Uh, it's a little early to be meeting the parents unless you're really, really sure that, wow, you really found the one. And she's actually thinking about ending things, not like killing herself, but like ending the relationship. And, uh, yeah. then a lot of weird, a lot of weird stuff starts happening. And I don't want to say a whole lot about it, but you're starting to wonder, is there a dimensional shift? Is there a time jump or a time slip? Uh, why is, why is the whole reality shifting around and weird stuff is happening? Like you start thinking, okay, well, he hasn't told her everything about how weird the folks are, or maybe his childhood was a little strange or something. But then at some points in the movie, you're like, 
Wait a second, that was a different actor playing her for a moment there. Hey, wait a minute, uh, Tony Collette is suddenly 20 years older. What the hell's going on? So you see the characters at different ages, and you see her being played by different characters, or different actors, and you're just like, what's going on? I don't understand. And it's um, two hours, 14 minutes, Will, so you might have to break this into two pieces, you know. Uh, it's, it's over, it's over the barn's limit, but, um, this, uh, wow, it's so strange, but it was, um, yeah, it, it was, it's worth a watch, but you feel a little weird after you're done watching it. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, it's got an 83% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which really doesn't tell you much. Um, but, um, it's slightly less than that on Metacritic. Uh, a weighted average score of 78 out of 100 based on 46 critics. So it's generally favorable, but it's weird and, uh, but visually really super interesting. Uh, so I would say for the weirdness of it, horror fans would probably get something out of it. Now that we're over half an hour into the show, <laughs> pumpkin head, uh-huh. pumpkin head. When's pumpkin head. Okay, tell me, Will. What what's your history with this? Uh, All when, right. When did you first see it? And when did you last see it before watching it for the show? Okay, so uh, this came out in 1988. Yeah. I would have been 11 years old. Wow. And I saw the poster for Pumpkin Head, and it had the monster on it. Uh, should have been should have been a tip off right then and there. They showed the monster in full on the poster. Yep. You should know the movie's going to be shit. Yep. Um, at eleven, I didn't know that. All I could wait, all I knew was I I couldn't wait for Pumpkinhead. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't play anywhere. It uh. just didn't. It was a it was a crappy movie. But anyway, came out on video eventually. Um, I was so disappointed when this came out. I waited for it and waited for it. Um, Stan Winston directed it. He is a special effects guy behind the Aliens. Right. The movie Aliens. Uh-huh. Um, and a bunch of other stuff. Sure. He went on Jurassic Park and, and whatnot. Um. I don't believe he's alive anymore, but... No, I believe he died. Anyway, he, he I really liked Stan Winston, you know, and I was all into special effects at the time. Um, in fact, I didn't even notice until last night's watch that he had no hand in any of the special effects. That's weird, um, right? Yeah, but then I figured, well, he's too busy directing it, you know, with all the pathos and the, the hillbilliness. Yeah. Um, this is a terrible movie. And I knew it at 11. Huh. You know, what's weird about, um, what's weird about Stan Winston is I always had it in my head that he did all the, uh, the design and the makeups for Planet of the Apes, which no. he did not. I don't no, know. No, he... I don't believe he had anything to do with the Planet of the Apes. No, but he did do the 1972 made-for-TV film Gargoyles, which, when I was a little kid, I loved that. Oh, that was a good one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah like, that's some good makeup. Yeah, so he did the uh, uh, the Wookiee costumes for the Star Wars Holiday Special, but not the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So, um, so Stan Winston... You know, that that's okay, that's got your attention. The poster when you're eleven, you're like, Yay, look at there's the whole monster. You get to look at the monster. Yeah. Terrible so, idea. Uh, terrible movie. Um, I kept the poster. I had it for years and years. Um, you got rid of it before it became worth something. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is yeah. stupid. I I'm gonna just I'm moving. I got, I'm going to get rid of some stuff. And then uh, five, ten years later, it's like people are paying 150 bucks for that dumbass poster. Yeah. I wish I had asked for the standee. I'm not sure that my parents would have let me take it from the video store, but I did know the owner at the time. Um, sure. 
that would have been awesome. Of course, I would have gotten rid of that by now, too. Uh, sure. Like I did with the They Live giant video box. Yeah. You don't hold on to crap like that. No, no. And if you... The, the crap I have held on to that I thought, oh, this will probably be worth something, probably isn't worth anything. No, no. It's only the you silly know. crap you get rid of that ends up being... You have to, I don't know, find... You have to find the really ephemeral stuff that people had that got, you know, beloved, but, you know, didn't hold up. Right, and that's the thing that you can't predict. Yeah, and then you could have bought, you know, Pokemon was big 20 years ago, and 22 years ago, I mean, they're still pretty big. I think it's the top-selling thing of all time, but uh, uh, they, I'm sure they had a dip there for a bit, and if, if you had bought up a bunch of it and held on to it, maybe now it would be worth something, but at the same time, they made so much of that crap. Is it ever going to be worth anything? Probably not. And, you know, when the bottom falls out of something, you know, you, people have to be aware of the false economy that is created around a thing. Like Beanie Babies was just a bullshit false economy. And, and yeah. people really believed they were going to be able to retire on these stupid beanbag Beanie dolls. Yeah. And uh, this one's worth $300. And I bought five of them. And it's like, yeah. And then when it became worth $3... Uh, it's like the stock market, you know, you're, once it's done, it's done. You're, you're bummed. Yeah. Sorry, you're bummed. There was a, there was going to be a documentary. I don't know that it ever came out. Uh, this guy was making that his father, um, got into the beanie baby habit when it was big and like basically spent, he and his two sisters, I'm not really sure the family dynamic. He spent the family's college fund on Beanie Babies. He spent, you know, like 50 grand, 100 grand. I don't remember what it was. It was an outrageous amount. And basically now has a house full of Beanie Babies that are worth nothing. No, they're, they're worth nothing. You can't even eat them. No, and that's the thing. If they were filled with actual beans, they might be worth something, but they're probably filled with some kind of <laughs> plastic pellets. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so um, so that's that. that uh, I felt like that would fall into the category of things you got from the friends, folks video store, and yeah, sure enough. Okay, I can't honestly say I remember. This this came out in '88, so uh, yeah, I I would have I would have been out of high school and uh, just like, um, you would have missed this. This, yeah, I, I probably got this on a video rental, but I I'm pretty sure that I wasn't a horror snob at the time, but I certainly didn't chase every car. You know what I mean? Like I would, I would choose what I was going after, but you know, I wasn't the dog that chased every car. Uh, I would buy Fangoria magazine when I saw something I liked and wanted to read about, but I wouldn't subscribe to it at the time. I would now, but, um, so this was one of those movies where maybe I heard about it, maybe I didn't. And then my first awareness of it was probably as a video rental. And I'm sure I watched it with some friends and, had a fun time watching it and probably um, had some drinks and thought it was funny, but uh, it had the guy from alien in it. And uh, so cool. Uh, Yeah, that was a sell. Yeah. Lance Henriksen. uh, Definitely an awesome guy. uh, Good actor. He was definitely um, punching down to have been in this movie. And that's cool. But uh, I don't know if this poem this thing is based on. Uh, I, I don't think it was written for the movie. I think no. I think it existed separately. But there's a poem by Ed Justin. Um, he's credited as a writer of the movie as well. So I don't know. Uh, it, basically, my, my knowledge is it wasn't written for the film, but, it, but it's, it's got the the ominous tone of, of what happens in the movie. Do you want me to read it? 
Yeah. Keep away from I me. Mean, yeah, let's let's do it. Okay. Keep away from Pumpkinhead unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's mean and unforgiving. You can see the rhyming pattern already. Uh, laugh at him and you're undone. But in some dreadful fashion, vengeance he considers fun and plans it with a passion. Time will not erase or blot a plot that he has brewing. It's when you think he's forgot, he'll conjure your undoing. Bolted doors and windows barred, guard dogs prowling in your yard won't protect you in your bed. Nothing will from Pumpkinhead. So, hmm. there's the poem. Um, the plot of the movie. Uh, do you want to just kind of outline the plot real quick and then we'll talk about sure. it? Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so Pumpkinhead involved a small uh, fruit stand owner played by the aforementioned Lance Henriksen and his small bespeckled boy, Billy, who's about five. Um, they live in the deepest part of Southern California. <laughs> it looks like the deep um, South, doesn't it? <laughs> so Southern California. Um, Eugenia is from West Virginia. I've only been there once. Um, we went back for her grandfather's funeral um, a number of years ago. It was like being back in West Virginia watching the film at the beginning. It was so accurate. <laughs> the, uh, the wide roads, the, uh, the big sky. <laughs> right. You could see for miles and miles and miles. Um, yeah. Um, so, uh, as I said, he runs a fruit stand. Some um, city folks show up. I'm not really sure why. I don't know if they stopped for the bathroom. They did. It's not a gas station, so it and seemed, they didn't stop for fruit. It seemed like they. I guess they, they did get supplies. They parked there to just ride the bikes on that hillside. It seemed basically is they're towing a pair of, of dirt bikes, and they stop and ride the dirt bikes for a while. Um, old lamp. Ed Harley is the character's name, um, has to run an errand. He leaves the little boy behind. I don't know why. Um, the little boy's dog gets out, um, and uh, the little boy runs after him and is hit by one of the dirt bike riders who happens to have been drinking and happens to also have a previous accident. So everybody takes off for the cabin, except for one boy. He stays behind, young man, um, to explain to Ed Harley what happened to the boy. Um, meanwhile, at the cabin, the uh, guy who caused the accident, I believe his character's name was Steve, um, has torn out the phone line because he doesn't want to get trouble. Um, Ed goes to his neighbor, asks to uh, know where some old woman lives. Uh, the neighbor's boy, Bunt, uh, takes Ed halfway there. Uh, Ed goes to the old lady. The old lady tells him, you have to go to this graveyard. Uh, which is a rare graveyard because it had one of the only elevated graves I've ever seen. Right. Um, <laughs> it looked like Devil's Tower. <laughs> yeah, I don't quite know what was going on with that. But anyway, um, it's a pumpkin patch. He goes and digs up a body, takes it back to the old lady. She does some magic, a little bit of blood work. Um, and then Pumpkinhead arises and wreaks vengeance for Ed. Um, while slowly, I don't know, I guess they're connected psychically, uh, and physically in some way. And, uh, Ed then realizes he's done a really bad thing and tries to stop Pumpkinhead. Um, yeah. That's, that's pretty much the rundown of Pumpkinhead. Now there's not an a whole lot of story there. 
Yeah, there's an early throwaway scene. Um, well, it seems like a throwaway scene at first where this pickup truck with a bunch of uh, really dirty hillbilly kids in the back pulls up. Yeah, L.A. County should really do something about <laughs> these children. Did, did you... Unincorporated L.A. County. Did you watch the credits? Uh-huh. Did you see who one of those little unwashed hillbilly kids was? Yes. Mayim Bialik. Yeah. Blossom. Blossom or... Uh, Amy Farrah Fowler, if you watch uh, uh, Big Bang Theory. I I didn't see her, though. uh, Well, uh, she's a little girl, so I guess she didn't look... She's a little girl, so yeah, I didn't recognize her. No, no, you wouldn't recognize her, uh, except for having read the credits, which I did, and I was like, oh, that's funny. What a... uh, Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah. Um, The the dad who was driving the truck... uh, 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 Mr. Wallace, I guess his name was. Uh, this character actor, George Buck Flower, he's a mm-hmm. he's a bum, a wino, a vagrant. Uh, oh yeah! It, like every movie you've ever watched, he's a a prospector or you know some. He's he's just like that kind of scroungy dude. Like he's in Back to the Future. As a bum, he's in They Live as a drifter. Oh, he is in Back to the Future as a bum. Yeah. In, yeah, in They Live, he's a drifter. In Starman, he's a cook. Uh, so he's just in everything. This is like one of those character actors that he's never going to get paid a million dollars to be in a movie, but he'll make a million movies and get paid a dollar each. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So... Um, you know, you said uh, you said Lance Hendrickson was punching down for this. I don't. I don't think the man punched down for anything. I think he was a consummate actor. I like if he's still alive. Well, but, uh, you know, yeah, this, he, this movie's total shit. But I imagine Lance Hendrickson is a, is a real professional. He seemed to be at least. Uh, you know, yeah, he took the role seriously. Well, yeah, he it, out. And to be clear, I'm just saying that that this is below his weight class as an actor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that's really how I should have said it. Um, he's capable of of handling something like this professionally, absolutely, which he did, and he did a very handy job of of giving it his best. But the material isn't good, and uh, and it's really just, I think. Uh, they've created an environment to release this rubber monster and yeah. And let it do some basically somebody made an alien monster demon costume. And then they kind of tried to write a movie around it, but yeah, (laughs) I didn't try very hard. No. And, uh, one thing that, that, uh, people should dig into Lance Henriksen a little bit and, and learn that, he was, uh, I think, like a runaway at like 15 or 16 years old. He joined the Merchant Marines. He worked his his ass off just doing these really rough jobs. And uh, at some point in time, I don't know if it was his idea or someone suggested it to him that he uh, that he get into acting because he had like a good rugged look to him and a really you know good personality that people could believe him as you know a uh, like a good dude or, or a tough guy or whatever. And he um, was completely illiterate and yeah. learned how to read so he could read scripts, but he would find workarounds for it uh, before that. And then sometimes improvise and, and they would like how he improvised. Uh, or he would say, look, uh, I just got my eyes checked. I don't have new glasses yet. Can you just tell me what it says? And I'll, and I'll wing it for you. And he got in early as a young actor, um, doing some pretty cool roles and, uh, and then went on to do some great stuff and does not come from a cushy privileged background at all. He came from a real rough beginnings. So when you see him doing any blue collar looking stuff, you can believe no problem. If that ended up being his real job, that he would actually do that thing. <laughs> you know? I also think he, he actually has a chip that looked like <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably some bar fight that he was in but uh you know imagine he took the the veneer off for his little for this part 
Yeah, very, very possible. But uh, yeah, his character, um, uh, one thing I think he left out was there was a, the movie starts with a flashback and apparently it's his childhood when he's around uh, a pumpkin head uh, vengeance spree and his father wouldn't let the neighbor in who needed to take shelter from Pumpkinhead because he knew what might happen. Uh, I took that as him as a child, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. And uh, there was too much of an aw shucks, gee whiz, uh, great chemistry with him and his kid. And it's just like, oh, this is a little too idyllic. Something bad's going to happen. Like the first time you watch this movie, it's like they're, they're just firing on all cylinders in a great relationship. Something bad's going to happen. And that dog, yeah. that dog, I'm like, oh, well, I think I took a note somewhere. Well, the good news is the dog does not die. And if you like kids, I got some bad news for you. You know, because he seems like a sweet kid, but. <laughs> yeah, I said the same thing. I was like, oh, the little dog's okay. <laughs> so like, there's the good news. Um, yeah. And I, I had a couple other notes, but I think. Um, I think what it comes down to is the creature designs pretty good. I think the, um, the shoulders were a little weird. They were almost like the little hooks at the top of a bat's wings. Uh, so I don't know, but, uh, it looks really good. Um, uh, the, the way it's lit, the amount of fog, all of that really helps it to be pretty stylized, but, your characters are pretty two-dimensional. I mean, Lance Henriksen's character, uh, uh, Mr. Harley is, is Ed Harley is, is, uh, he's believable enough and he's well acted by a very competent actor, but pretty much everybody else in the movie are actors you haven't really heard of. Um, and for good reason, there's some terrible line reads. Oh, terrible. Um, Tom Woodruff Jr. plays Pumpkinhead. Now, this is somebody who, uh, let's see, um, I want to I find some of his creature effects supervising and design work. So, movies such as, you know, Tremors sequels, Alien vs. Predator, uh, the Santa Claus movies, um, I wanted to say Harbinger, yeah, Harbinger Down was one of them. Uh, he worked on it, the, the, the later, the more recent it movie and, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. He, uh, did the supervision on the miniature effects. So this is somebody who knows a lot about creature stuff, but, uh, yeah, he got in the suit apparently for this one monster squad. That's the one I wanted to say, cause that was a Stan Winston studio, uh, joint there. Um, Oh, okay. So he was the head monster maker for that one. And the TV show Alien Nation was the other one I wanted to mention. So, yeah, Tom Woodruff Jr., you know, there's your pumpkin head. There's four of these things. I can't believe they go on to make three more. I mean, they were like direct to video or whatever, but, or made for TV or whatever, but why? Uh, this should have been a one and done. I uh, didn't yeah. didn't look to see if it made money. I suppose that's worth investigating. But if it did, they should have felt lucky to have made money and got out of it. Uh, let's yeah, see. Yeah, I'm sure they did. I'm sure the studio. I'm sure nobody uh, who was involved in the first one was involved in the second. Although Lance Hendrickson is involved in the fourth one, I saw. Uh, maybe he Not needed the I money. I watched it, but I... Yeah. Okay, I found it. Okay, the budget was $3.5 million. Uh, the opening weekend, it made almost 700000 The gross take for the U.S., uh, well, I guess worldwide also, because apparently they didn't send this overseas, was um, close to $4.5 million. So they made a million bucks. Yeah, all right. They might have made more and hid some of it, but who knows. Um, it had about seven or eight kills in it. Because uh, it basically killed all the BMXers uh, that 
that uh, were cul- culpable in this thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, God, did it kill any other chumps along the way? I'm trying to remember. Because uh, I don't believe so. I think it only killed the, the people involved. They, they say they'll kill you if it's getting its way. Yeah. But I don't believe that it killed anyone else. Yeah, so basically it's just this this monster that's been unleashed for revenge and kills a bunch of teens who are, you can't call them campers or vacationers. I guess you can call them vacationers because they're, they're staying in a cabin. They're sort of on a weekend. Is like, that the same cabin from uh, uh, Friday the 13th? It sure looks like it could be. I wouldn't be surprised. But, uh, yeah. That cabin needs a name. It really does. The kill cabin. The stabbing cabin. The stabbing cabin. cabin. That's great. Yeah, that would totally work. Uh, Let's see. I guess the lighting design, the set design, the creature design, although they overdo it by showing you the creature too early and too often, it's all great looking stuff. You've got a good actor in the lead, but a bunch of two dimensional written characters, two dimensionally acted by a bunch of actors you've not heard of. That's the big complaint on this movie, but it does deliver about, like I said, seven or eight kills. Uh, so in a less than 90 minute movie, I think you got what you were looking for. If you were looking for this, uh, if you were looking for a really good, horror movie with some depth in the writing, this isn't it. Uh, Having not rewatched it in a couple of decades, uh, I got to say, it gave me more than what I was expecting or or even hoping for. So uh, Really? Yeah, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be unbearable garbage that I can't stand watching. And it turned out it it wasn't as bad as, as I was expecting which may be saying my expectations were pretty low, but, uh, when was the last time you said you watched it before this? Like when it came out? Uh, a couple years ago. Okay. Uh, I watched it. It was on comet. Oh, and, uh, edited I watched then. it. Uh, yeah. And full of commercials. So it didn't have any of the real gory stuff, but it just, Cut it enough. This movie's not terribly gory, though. Yeah, I guess a lot of the kills are like they throw someone against a tree or something. It's, it's not as yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see handfuls of guts being ripped out or anything like that. No. Hmm. No, nobody loses an arm and then they, you know, are running around without an arm. Yeah. So, all this being said, can you recommend this to horror fans? October's, Definitely. October's coming. If you haven't watched this, should they watch this? Uh, you got nothing else? Yeah, maybe you're doing 30 days, 31 days, maybe. rather. Yeah, 31 days of Halloween. If you're doing 31 days, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, maybe you got categories. You, you got a lot yeah, like rubber monster creature suit movies or movies from the 80s or things like that. Uh, movies with kids yeah. getting killed in a cabin that isn't a Jason movie. If, <laughs> yeah, if you got categories, maybe this scratches that itch. Maybe this checks that box with Halloween coming up. And I think five years that we've been doing this show, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Because uh, we did start at the beginning of October, I think five years ago. Non-horror fans who are doing a little spooky movie watching for Halloween, do you think they can get something out of this? Is it light enough for them, but spooky enough and perilous enough? I think it's it's not very fun. It could certainly be more fun. Yeah, I think if you want to watch something and you're not a normal horror fan, you have a lot better choices. Critters or gremlins, maybe? Yeah, Critters and Gremlins, definitely. Yeah. 
Um, I got to agree with you on that. I think uh, I would say horror fans give it a rewatch or if it's, I won't call it essential viewing, but I will say if you haven't watched it, maybe you should. So you could at least talk about it uh, intelligently when people bring it up. You could be like, rather than say, I've never seen it. You could say, oh yeah, I saw it and here's what I think of it. Uh, but non-horror fans, yeah, if you're going to do your spooky Halloween watching, there's other stuff you could pick from the 80s or from the, uh, or the rubber monster categories, whatever it is that you're going for. So all in all, not a terrible, not a terrible choice for fun, but if you want some depth, this ain't it. Before we get out of here, I should say that Jolien's picking the movie for next week. His top secret project is at least this phase of it is uh, wrapping up. So he'll be rejoining us. You'll get the dulcet tones of Jolien once again. And, and we will be heading right into October, the fifth anniversary of our show and our favorite month of the year for spooky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Sounds um, good. Anything Gotta get ready for uh, 31 days. Yeah, buy some candy corn and uh, try and figure out what to do with it. Don't eat it. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? Abomination. <laughs> it is, it's terrible. No, I don't think so. I think that wraps it up for us. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, uh, on that note, listeners, we do appreciate you and thank you for listening. Mind the door.